Hey, Reaching the Border subscribers and listeners. Today, we have a very special episode. So special that we chose to film it. You can find the full-length interview of this podcast on my YouTube channel, where you will see the emotional ups and downs of such an important topic. And we have many more takeaways than we can cram into this podcast. Go to the link in the description of this podcast to watch the full episode after listening. And please listen first. We need the views. <laughs> From Radical Productions, this is Reaching the Border, a podcast focused on the stories of brown males in poverty struggling to end their own sufferings without the proper tools or support. How do I know? Because I'm your host, Robert A. Douglas, and I am one of them. Welcome. In this episode, I've chosen to step aside from the seat of the host due to the subject we interview. Instead, journalist Ken Stukes, a writer for Radical Productions, will be stepping in as our host to talk to a young man in my life that has not benefited from me the way the boys in other episodes have because they've had time with me that he missed out on. What makes the story ironic is that this young man is my little brother. Yes. My biological brother. Now, before we get started, if you haven't listened to the first five episodes of Reaching the Border, shame on you. Go back and hear the powerful stories of the first five episodes that lead into the topic of today. No cheating. I asked my brother to interview on a sensitive topic, the death of our mother. Not just because our mother died, but because her death is what caused our definite separation for almost 20 years, but not by choice. Without giving away too much, two very important issues in the lives of many brown boys arise from this interview. We will touch on one in this episode. Listen. Hello and welcome to listeners to Reaching the Border. I'm your guest host, Ken Stukes. Robert has stepped aside as your host. His brother Binky also joins us tonight. Binky, I want you to introduce yourself. How y'all doing? Um, my real name is Crandell, but everybody that know and love me, they call me Binky or Bink or whatever. This is my bigger brother. It's just a pleasure to be here, man. So, yeah. Well, thank you for being with us tonight. I want to ask you now your first memory mm -hmm. of Binky. So, my mother just told me, like, oh, you have a little brother. And I'm like, what? How old were you? At that time, I was probably about seven, so he was about two, um, and I was I was so offended. I was just like, <laughs> "I'm your son, like I'm your only son, right?" She had two two girls, and right. it was just me. Um, and then she just sprung on me that she had this boy. So, like, my first memory was him being about two years old. I'm gonna ask you the same question I just asked Robert. Uh -huh. What's your first memory of Robert? My first memory was my first time actually meeting him at the age of 22. Okay. Tell me about that. Um, It was a pretty humbling experience. Only because, right, I always wanted a brother. But at the same time, I didn't because of what was, like, the things that were said about my mother, mm. specifically. Personally, like, it was like, talk about that. oh, your mother getting high. Oh, your mother having all these kids. 
Oh, your mother don't want you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you'll never get to know your brothers. They gone. Mm. So mm-hmm. why would I care about them for? You understand what I'm saying, Ken? I, I do understand. So it's just like meeting my brother at the age of 22 is crazy. Because coming from a life where I'm from, right, and coming from East Baltimore, 1600 block of Causewell Street in the, in the 1990s, if mm-hmm. you don't have a brother to show you, mm-hmm. your brother's in the street going to show you. So, Robert, I want to ask you more so. How did you lose contact with Binky? I lost contact with Binky the day before my mother died. Um, when she came on Saturday, she either came with the kids or she came to get me to go see the kids. So, that Saturday, she walked the kids up. We walked them back to Carswell Street. Binky was on my back, actually, walking past the Cloverdale Milk Company. And then... The next day, she didn't show up. And fast forward, we found out, you know, she had died of an overdose. And that day prior to that was the last time I had seen her. So, for what I'm what I'm getting is that you were told a lot of things about your half-siblings and your mother. Right. So, all of the things you were told, were any positive? Were they all negative? Just shed some light on so, that. What were you um, told? As far as my siblings, nobody really knew them. So they couldn't talk about them. It was only just my mother. Now, some was a positive light. Some was a negative light. Some was some people would say she she was she was like a like a burst of energy, a burst of life. Like, you know, she could make anybody laugh. Mm-hmm. Some people say, oh, she just some people see the face value. So they say, oh, she just do this and she do that. And she going to run around. She don't take care of her kids and she don't da 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 da. You understand what I'm saying? But the people that saw her for the mental and the spiritual and saw the person that she was deeper than everything that she was going through, they would understand. Who told some of these stories to you? Family members, cousins, aunts, uncles. Mm -hmm. Anybody who I would try to reach my hand out to and say, oh, hey, this is my brother. What do you know about him? And all they could give me was background that somebody else told them from the family, which makes me understand that that side of the family never even got to know this side of the family. So it was always that line. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was always that separation. So did you hold any resentment in your heart towards your mother? And so, and like I said, in some way I did because it was like, damn, at this time when I needed you, when I was the most vulnerable as a child, when I was like, I couldn't fend for myself and people was leaving me like this. That made me feel hurt. That made me feel resentment. That made me feel pain, but also pain towards my father. Mm-hmm. Because you're supposed to be a father. I'm a boy. I'm your child. You don't choose that over me. So you were told that your mother chose drugs over you? Pretty much, yes. Mm-hmm. So and how would you think that would make me feel, Ken? How would that make you feel if like, if you were told for pretty much 10 plus years of your life, this is what your mother did? I would feel some resentment towards my mother as well. Absolutely. You want to know what's interesting? I always imagined that my little brother was living a better childhood than me because his father was around. But two brown boys born to the same woman a half a decade apart end up without either parent physically present because remember, my father is still alive also. And we end up with nothing but street ties to anchor our souls to. To hear his pain gives me chills. He says in this interview, how could you choose that over me? That's a line in my first book to my mother, a book my brother has never read. So I know that feeling. And as he goes on, I continue to feel his pain. It's a pain of my own. 
I'm gonna switch it back. I know it's Robert. You said you started. Um, were you 12 when you started reaching My out? mother died when I was 10. She was buried when I was 11. I found them by the time I was 12. So how did you guys eventually, I guess, reconnect? I don't know. I, I wrote them a letter and somebody wrote me a letter back. So I got this letter back and it had their, it had their pictures in it. And I was elated. And I was like, you know, I finally found them. Right? I promised my mother her grave that I would do that. I would find them. It just became an obsession. Um, in in a sense, it was it was the one thing I could say that like I wasn't gonna give up on. Gotcha. So, Binky, if Robert had never reached out to you, mm-hmm. do you think you would have reached out to him? As I got older, as I got older, like if I could say at the age of twenty two, yes, I would definitely would have reached out to him. Not sooner, only because of the way that I was taught up, like. The way I was brought up, bro, I was running the streets. I ain't care about nobody else. I cared about a dollar. I ain't have nothing to wear on. I ain't had nothing to wear on my feet. I ain't had no boxes to wear on me. Nobody never gave me nothing. Everything I had to get, I had to work for. That's what I was doing pretty much in my adolescent years. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't what I had for my family. That I loved anyway. That was here. I was in Virginia with my aunts and them. So what would have changed... In your mind, if you would never reached out, like, like, so you said you felt that resentment. The only initially. thing, the only thing that ever changed that was me seeing him setting a real positive example when I first seen him post the cover of con- uh, Fertile Concrete on Facebook. That's when I really started. Like, when I clicked on his page, I said, "He doing this for kids. He doing this. He doing that." Man, like, after all we've been through, how he doing that? Like, maybe I do need to talk to him. Maybe I do need to reach out for him, cause. That piece of me that I've been missing, that, that that piece of my mama that I've been missing, like, I I yearn for that. And it bring me back to, it bring me in my emotions sometimes. Absolutely. That's nice. It's like I could have been had this and you, the whole time you snatching this away from me because of you how you think I might feel. Like, come on. When you're raised by the streets, your family is your family. You don't get mm-hmm. to pick and you don't get to choose. So that's all you need. So it was the same thing for me. You know, these are my brothers over here in East Baltimore. So, what happened after that first album? Like, like you guys it keep just, in touch? It, it just yeah, spark, we it just, Yeah, it, just, it sparked the energy that just... We absolutely clicked. I didn't see him for a while after that, and then I got into some stuff in my personal life, and I went to go see him, and I and I went, because I wanted to tell him to his face. And I said, I said to him, I said, you know, this is what I'm facing in my life. And I looked at him and I said, I apologize if I let you down, but I'm going to make sure like, I get back to that place. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're already at that place. And he looked me dead in my eyes with full confidence. And at that point, I made a decision that like, I'm going to see him every day and for the rest of my because, life. And that's because, right, he don't you know, know like, like, me and my sisters, like, we didn't have a relationship like that. So he was everything I already looked for anyway. You feel me? And it wasn't me just embracing him like, oh, like I always wanted a brother. Come here. I don't know you like that, but come here. No, it's been me embracing him like, that's me. I'm you. This going to be forever now. I talked about two very important issues that stem from this episode. The one I want to focus on is community. This is a boy that lost his mother and his ties to his older siblings and left him scrambling for the one thing he needed most, family. 
it's an issue we all can relate to. It's definitely an issue within our brown boy community, and as we see more gang activity than ever before, we can understand why. Our community breaks when the family breaks. The family breaks when life and circumstances make decisions for us in tough times. Then, the next generation is left scarred, broken, and unattended to. The cycle is like a domino effect with each generation ripping away at our community because of the things that tear our families apart. Our men need to be present because our mothers are dying. Like mine. Until next time, listeners.